Why? All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. A new batch of regulations are being imposed by the Biden administration that are going to result in more strain on an already taxed energy grid. With the summer heat coming, should we brace ourselves for waves of black and brownouts? How crippling to our energy grid will these new regulations be? Well, we have an energy expert on to talk about all of this, and uh, it might be a guy you recognize. We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 400 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the Think Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, working from uh, remote today, so get the beautiful sunny background instead of the uh, cluster of all the stuff behind me. So uh, hoping this goes flawlessly, bringing the mic to the house. It is so far, so good. Also joining us, we have Justin Haskins, director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Not, not good, Donald. Not good. <laughs> oh, after uh, after many years of not having allergies, um, nature decided this year to murder me, mm. and uh, it's out to get me, and I can't run from it. And so now I'm drinking tea all the time, which is basically just dirt water. It's awful. Um, and right before I came on the show, I had to make tea and I scalded myself in the hand. So this is just a terrible, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's not going well, guys. It's not oh going well. So. Yeah, that's, that is, that is not great. Uh, the energy expert that I referenced earlier joining us due to popular demand, uh, a fierce and intense outcry from the public to bring them back on. We have. Isaac Orr, policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing great, and it's great to be here for episode 400 of the In the Tank podcast, where we explore the work of think, think tanks throughout the country. Oh, that, that is right. Dust. You messed up the Dust. intro. You You're didn't even done. get the intro to your own podcast right. You're just dusting off all the classics. Yeah, and Justin, I will say, uh, your mascara looks pristine right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It, it, it takes a lot of work to get ready for this show. You it looks no good. It looks I, like you're well, like you've spent a lot of time on it. A little cat <laughs> right. eye right there. Looks nice. Yeah, yeah, I do. Right. Yeah, it's all it, natural. That's yeah, all that it, is. Right, right. It takes it takes a lot to pull off that suffering from pollen look, but you've got it down perfectly. <laughs> uh, audio only listeners, I want to put that message out there for you to uh, that are probably listening to this on a Friday or later that you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we're streaming this live on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We also have uh, super chat function enabled. So if you want to guarantee that your comment will be read or question will be answered, you can utilize that. It's a great way to support the show. You can also support the show by doing a couple of things. Those audio only listeners I mentioned earlier can uh, rate the show and give us a review on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. And those watching on YouTube uh, can subscribe. Uh, uh, leave a comment under the video, hit that like button, share this content. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. So Isaac, uh, I'm not joking, man. It was, it was fan. It was a fan led letter writing campaign <laughs> that, that resulted with, that resulted uh, with you being asked to come back on the show. And the timing was perfect. Because it literally happened uh, after the last episode, and I was just like, "Well, what's a what's a better uh, time to bring on Isaac than the 400th episode?" Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the episode where you talk about farming. <laughs> That's a good point. We did talk <laughs> about agriculture last week, didn't we? Oh yeah. Who who do we know that like maybe grew up on a farm and would know something about it? 
That's 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 a very good. Point. Sorry, I'm just giving. I know that the listeners who have been asking for me to come back miss that that sassiness. So I'm just really laying it on coming in hot with it. Got coming it. in very it's, hot. It, it's listener with a. Uh, no that's clue. true. That is. Oh no, true. no 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 no. There was no, no. a single squeaky wheel. <laughs> when 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 Donnie says that it was a fan letter driven effort to get you back on the pod, he meant that a fan and yeah, one person exactly. <laughs> said hey how about having isaac back on and we thought well 400 oh, is a nice it. round number and yeah. you know we're feeling pretty generous the good weather has begun up here in the upper midwest so no no but i also, I also put the, i also put the over under on isaac reminding us why he's not on the podcast anymore either by insulting you donnie or you justin i can take it actually no oh, he, he's already he's already on the fence uh put he's that on comment the back up there um Congratulate us on our 400th. Happy 400th episode, says the head of the Isaac Orr fan club for a (laughs) successful hunger strike to bring him back on the podcast. Let's hear him do that famous Klobuchar impression. Uh, Let's see it. I'll do it. I will do it this episode, but I'm going to pick my moment at some point. All right. So so we do have a lot to get into. Uh, We brought him on to talk about some energy centric topics. Uh, so anyone that's tuning in after the live show, if you don't want to hear us talk uh, this this kind of early on banter, you're just going to have to skip ahead a little bit because this is our 400th episode and we should celebrate it a little bit or more than the fact that we've been doing this for like eight years. I mean, that's that's wild. That's, I was that's doing kind of math. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that- my favorite in the tank episode or sex or segment is definitely the one where Justin just roasted me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's like, well, I'm sorry for you. I forget what episode that was, but that was the funniest that thing really I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just just the evolution of the show. Um, yeah. There was the early days where it was just me and John Noderf, who is the government relations director here at the Heartland Institute. Can we talk and, about what he's doing these days? Because yeah, like he's a socialist he's selling, now. He's selling no, he washes windows. windows, doesn't he? Don't well, wash it, it got worse. It got worse. Do do Johnny, Donnie, and I joked about this offline. Do we want to get into what that that guy's up? Well, to you know what? Days? I gave him an opportunity to represent himself on the show. I, I texted him asking if uh you know we, it would be all right if I gave him a call, and he declined. So Whoa. I Whoa. feel like gloves are off, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it started off as a more of a government relations <laughs> endeavor. There he is. He's on the, uh, put him on a head of government, government relations here at Heartland. Yeah, he's now uh, working for industry. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that um, what you call squeegeeing cars as <laughs> stoplights to earn spare change yeah. <laughs> with the newspaper? <laughs> yeah. So we talked about state level policy issues. Then it morphed into a show that we covered, and this is what Isaac's referencing morphed into a show that covered work of think tanks across the country. And each week we would feature a report. We would have a guest on representing some uh, state level think tank for our better know a think tank segment. In fact, I'm pretty sure that very early on, maybe episode 95, we had on your boss, Isaac, from the Center of the American Experiment to talk about various things and stuff. Um, and then John left. And then it was me, Isaac and Justin. And we largely stuck to that, you know, that think tank work That tried and through, true, proven formula for success. That's right. That's right. And then uh, around episode 190, something like that, we changed format uh, again once we started doing video. And we've been doing video for the last 200 episodes. And that's when uh, Jim was, was brought onto the show. And I think it was basically us four for a while until Isaac ventured off and started doing his own thing and then you know left us all behind if that's the official story so i'm curious for all of the listeners that are that are in our uh our our chat right now i am very curious as to when you started listening to the show uh when you started tuning in just rough it out what episode we're on episode 400 we do one every week so if you started listening a year ago 350 i'm very curious uh, when you started to, to uh, listen to the show, because I will say that there is at least one that has been listening to us since the beginning. And I know this because he comes to all of our events and complains to me that we're not adhering to the uh, think tank work of think tanks across the country model anymore. So he's not a very happy fan, but he's been here a long time. So. As he should. That was a great format. That's why today, uh, Donnie said, I get to pick what we talk about. So I chose 
we are going to do occupational licensing reform and the index that was made by the Archbridge Institute out of West no. Virginia. No, no, no. Before anyone tunes out, we are not talking about that <laughs> because that is the that is like the thing that we did for the first hundred or so episodes. We would do all these state level policy stuff, occupational licensing, certificate of need laws, minimum wage reports. Justin remembers all of this. And, you know, I thought it was a, a pretty good uh, model for you know, a hundred episodes, but then he started kind of getting the same pattern of things over and over again. It's just like, eh, let's branch out a little bit. So Justin, what do you think? Do you think it was a good idea to, to kind of stem away from that a little bit? I, I, th- I think it was a bad idea to ever go in that direction in the first place. Oh, so I, I, uh, you know, but that's okay. I mean, that was the, the, I, so the idea was, to make this a podcast. And this is why that's that's not really serious. The idea was to make this a podcast mainly for like think tank type people and people interested in policy. Like that was the idea. Right. So it made sense for that model, right? But then once we once we outgrew all those people and we started reaching, you know, real America, not <laughs> not people who live in the think tank world, which is just like clown world. Um, you know, we started, we started reaching, you know, people who didn't want to hear about certificate of need laws every week. And so it made sense to change the, to change the format. So I will say this, since John isn't here to defend himself, I'm going to attack him ruthlessly. Um, (laughs) he was, he was honestly what held this show back for a long time. And here's why, and here's why he was. It wasn't because he's, you know, not a handsome guy. Just look at that picture. He's obviously a handsome guy. And it's not because he was boring or any or anything like that. I didn't think he was boring. He's really smart. And he's got this really like uh, charming Southern accent, you know, that he likes to throw out there when he's on camera. But um, I, I but the thing is, he loved those stupid topics. He just freaking loved them. He loved talking about con laws all day long. Right. And this show would never have grown beyond the 50 people that listened before. Sure. If John Noderf was still here, because he would he would have laid down his life to continue talking about con law reports from the Mercatus Center. That's what he would have done. And so good riddance to him. Jim, and- Jim, you got to you got to jump in, because while you weren't on the show for the first hundred and ninety episodes, uh, he's definitely had a, a, an oversight role for the most part. So what are your thoughts about the evolution of it and, you know, where we've come from and all of the snarky comments by our other two panelists today? I mean, I think I never would have thought we would have got to 400 episodes, to be honest. I, I remember when you came to me, you wanted to host a podcast. It's like, I have an idea. I think we have, you know, we should do a podcast about think tanks. And, you know, you, if anybody would ever to go back and find the first 20 episodes of that. And of course, it was just audio only back in the day. Uh, and it was just you and John, uh, you know, sitting in our little podcast studio, which we used to have uh, a smaller second podcast studio in the office and do them from there, you know, and just see how the show has evolved and not just in broadening our topic, uh, you know, our topic menu then you know and, and bring, bringing it out of just talking about other think tanks i mean it's still in the tank podcast because we're a think tank we're the heartland institute so you're getting inside this think tank and what we're thinking about the news of the day and we do really do focus on policy so just because we don't highlight you know a uh, certificate of need law uh, paper for mercatus or cato or something like that or from the buckeye institute in ohio and that sort of thing doesn't mean that we don't hit policy uh, on this on this podcast. I mean, you can find a lot of podcasts out there that will talk about politics. And you and I, Donnie, we like to not talk about politics. We like to talk about policy and we bring it up only when kind of really necessary or when it's when it actually would affect policy in the future. So, you know, this is a podcast today are very niche oriented for the most part. You know, if you're interested in a certain specific topic. You can go out there and find those podcasts that, that that hit those topics that you like to listen to. And this is a podcast for people who are interested in drilling down a little, with a little bit more detail into the policy that runs our lives and into the organizations and the and the outfits and the you know the cabals and all of these places that are pushing to further run your lives. And we do it from a freedom oriented perspective. So expanding what we do, I think made this podcast more relevant. Obviously we have a bigger audience and it makes it more, uh, I think more important to listen to it. And it, it's different than a lot of other podcasts you get. So I'm glad that, that we have a lot of listeners 
We're at episode 400. I'll see you at 500. Uh, yeah, 500. And that's two years from now. So it's, it's crazy to think about. I will say that I went back and I was watching episode 193 because it came up in like my timeline of four years ago. And I feel like Justin, you had a lot more energy back then. <laughs> you're a little bit, you're a little bit toned down. I don't know if you're just like beaten down by the way of the world now or whatever, but man, you had a, you had a little bit more spunk in you, but, um, well, now it, now it just takes all of the energy that I have to continue standing and not sitting down. <laughs> so you're lucky that I'm even here and haven't passed out already, That's frankly. Uh, so, Isaac, we do have a whole bunch of stuff to get to topic-wise. But uh, any any other last remarks about this? Uh, any, any other uh, uh, best moments that you can think of over our 400 episodes that we've done or anything like that? I've said my piece on that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Anyone that's tuning in, uh, let us know, especially those that are longtime listeners. If you do have a favorite segment or a memorable moment or something like that, share it in the comments. I'm very curious if there's something that I've forgotten. Uh, there are a few episodes that I, I recall that a uh, few moments, a few episodes that I recall that uh, will stick with me for a while. Uh, one of them was when we did the Michael Moore movie, the um, Planet of the Humans. I thought that was uh, that was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I thought that was just like something that like everyone that's in this debate, like put that in your holster. Like <laughs> Michael Moore is talking about how wind and solar are not us, not our saviors. Like we won the debate. It's over. He said it. So I really like that episode. But another memorable, uh, and this is a little bit at the expense of Justin, was very early on to COVID. Very, very early on, like before any of the lockdown stuff at all. Uh, Justin predicted that, you know, within two months, no one's going to ever be talking about this whole COVID thing again. He's like, he's like three months. No one will even remember it or something like that. So yeah, the worst prediction ever made on this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Sure I, yeah. You know, you want to know why I'm so depressed. Um, that's, it's not helping. It's not helping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it was good for me because I've been so successful in my career. I needed something like that. I, w I wake up every day. It, Every day I wake up and I watch that clip to remind myself of how terrible I am so that I can, you know, bring myself back down to earth a little bit. And so right. it's, you know, it's not the best way to start the day, but it's, it's important to keep my ego in check. So just right, eat right. your humble pie blah, for blah, breakfast. Blah, 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 blah. And, and the last thing that I want to mention um, is that out of the, out of, I, I, I wish I can go back and tally this up. Because I'm going to put out an estimate there. Out of the eight, the 400 episodes that we've done, how many do you think that I have missed as host? Because Ooh. I have an estimate. Anyone? <laughs> I'm six. Uh, six. I'm going to say three. Three? Yeah. I, I I was being generous, and I said ten at most. I think I've missed ten, and that's from. You know, like being gone on like a, my oh, wedding yeah. the, when right. the babies came, you know, various, uh, you know, if I'm down in Dallas or something. I want to change to five. So I'm just I'm just pointing that out there because I am loyal to everyone tuning into this. I don't miss episodes very often. I'm just making a point of it. All right, let's get to it. We're almost 20 minutes in. I want to get to our topics. We have an energy expert here. So I want to talk about some energy related stuff. And all of the articles and all the links and most of the stuff that I'm going to bring up on this podcast all revolve around one main topic. And that topic is the subject of the first article I want to discuss, which comes from the Wall Street Journal. It's an article titled Your Coming Summer of Blackouts. So the author of this piece um, talks about a recently released assessment forecast from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, or NERC. Is that how you pronounce it, Isaac? That's correct. NERC, the assessment forecasts that roughly two-thirds of the United States is at risk of suffering power outages during the coming summer heat. This includes just about everyone living west of the Mississippi River. So, Isaac, that seems like a big chunk of the United States that's at risk of uh, blackouts during the summer. Are the NERC forecasts always this dire, or is this particularly bad? Uh, it's particularly bad, and it's been getting worse over the last several years. Like most of the listeners may not know this, but I used to work at Heartland. Uh, I was there from I think it was like 2014 until 2018 when I uh, jumped ship and came over to American Experiment. But the last year that I was doing stuff for Heartland, I was talking about 
you know, how we need to preserve these existing coal fired power plants that have been shut down over the last, you know, five years. And when we talked about, you know, this is going to, if we shut these down, we're going to undermine the reliability of the grid. Everyone just laughed at you and said, you're a climate denier, like you're stupid, essentially. Right. And really the chickens have come home to roost in a lot of ways. Uh, we haven't had the blackouts yet, but all of the signs are pointing towards if we have like a widespread heat wave in the United States, there's not going to be enough juice to keep everything going. So, um, yeah, ultimately, like the Biden administration is making this worse by enacting power plant regulations, which is another thing uh, that they talk about in the, the the prestigious think tank. The Wall Street Journal talks about in their editorial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a jab at me. Uh, Isaac supplied me a bunch of think tank related links to this topic, uh, but I chose to use that one to kind of let it off. So I, I get it. I understand. I do want to get to those new regulations from Biden. But uh, I, I just want to get some other comments from Justin and, and uh, Jim in here about just this idea of we're looking down the barrel of of rolling blackouts across the entire country in this coming summer. And I feel like, you know, based on all the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast over the last 400 episodes, that we're going to soon get to a point where we reminisce about the times where summer blackouts were limited to places like California. I fear that we're on a path where we're going to routinely receive text alerts from the government or, or flex alerts, as they're called in California, asking people to limit their energy usage over the next, I don't know, eight to 12 hours or something like we have seen in California. Or perhaps your smart thermostat in your house will lock you out of being able to set your air conditioning below 80 degrees like that story in uh, Colorado, Colorado, I think. Yep. Yeah. Or perhaps limitations will be placed on commercial businesses, restricting them from using too much energy to cool their stores, like that story out of Spain that we've talked about before. So, Jim, do you think this is the path we're on? Are, are stories like this inevitably going to be the norm for us? Of course, it's the path we're on. And that's what listeners to this podcast know very well, because we've talked about this for at least a couple of years. That, um, And I'm so glad Isaac is here actually to talk about it in even more detail. Because uh, he could probably fill in some gaps of knowledge uh, by me on this, but just it's inevitable when you take. Uh, I think we. I, I remember doing a video or researching a video. Um, actually, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, doing some research for a video, we had something like uh, you know we just keep taking more coal and natural gas uh, power plants offline and replacing them with. And you should put that in air quotes. Replacing them with wind and solar. Wind, of course, obviously solar doesn't work on a, you know, when the sun goes down, which is half the day and wind doesn't work unless it's actually blowing just perfectly. I think the, uh, uh, only about 20% of the time are you actually getting usable energy from wind and you can't take all of this reliable energy offline and replace it with unreliable energy and think that we're going to continue to live as we have for our entire lives. I mean, rolling blackouts and, and brownouts and that sort of stuff, Unless you live in, in a place like, you know, the, it may happen in California because wildfires maybe took out some of the power or it could happen in, of course, places where are struck by hurricanes where, you know, it's a blackout and you lose power for a few days until they bring it back on. That's not what we're talking about anymore. We're talking about destroying our energy system in this country while also outlawing the use of any natural gas stuff at all in, in your home, um, New York State and California are poised to ban um, the installation of any uh, gas-fired appliances in your home if you're, if you're building a new home. So no gas stoves, no gas furnaces, no gas water heaters are all going to be replaced by electric. California is going to outlaw the internal combustion engine for all intents and purposes, at least new ones. They will not allow new cars built with an internal combustion engine to be sold in that state in about uh, maybe eight years or so from now, if, if that, I think it's 2035 maybe. So maybe it's a little longer than a decade. Uh, you can't impose these policies, which would require more, much, much, much more electricity to be used by the American people and not build any more capacity because we're not building any more nuclear. If you were actually going to do, if you were going to go against the market and force people to have everything electric and you wanted them to actually have a lifestyle that is somewhat similar to that, that what they're enjoying now, you would go nuclear all across the country. We're not doing this because we're run by ideological idiots and they want you to suffer. So we're going to super ramp up demand for electricity while super diminishing our ability to generate reliable electricity. The inevitable, you don't have to be an energy expert or an economist or anybody else to, to just put those two things together and realize 
blackouts and brownouts are inevitable and they're coming faster than anybody would have even guessed two years ago, thanks to the policies of this Biden administration. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I've ever grown up in the Midwest. I don't think I've ever experienced a, you know, energy shortage blackout ever. And now this is like the second year in a row. I think that we had the same warnings last year, at least for like the Midwest areas, um, about like impending possible blackouts. So I'm just like fearful that this is this is seriously going to be the norm. But but uh, before we go back to some of the the more the Biden imposed causes of this, I'm just kind of curious to see your thoughts, Justin, on this idea of just like the energy rationing that we're seemingly going headlong into. You know, one of the things that I've always been very interested in is uh, really trying to understand what people on the left, not the not the sort of radical environmentalists who just don't care about any of this because they would prefer we just don't even use energy. Um, a lot of them, or at least to significantly cut it, they'd be fine with that. Or to have fewer humans, they'd be fine with that. Or for us to live in smaller spaces, they'd be fine with that. To drive our car less, they'd be fine with that. But what about like just your run of the mill, um, you know, sort of middle of the road Democrat or, um, you know, certain Republicans or independents that also kind of feel strongly about this? Um, the ones who are in office in particular, who should be a little more educated on this, maybe they're not, but they should be, you know, what, I mean, the, the math and the, and the science on this is settled. It's going to happen. It's not a question of, it's just math. It's just basic math. All you have to do is look at the production. You can project things out. You can project out consumption and do all this stuff and you can figure out what we're capable of powering and what we're not capable of powering and what that's going to look like in the future. And it's not going to be exact, but you can get a rough picture of that. And, and a lot of people like Isaac and others have been doing that for a long time. And it seems like no matter how many reports they put out, a lot of people just look at it and say, uh, you know, we, we're, we're still going to go in the other direction, but we don't care what the math says and we don't care what the science says and we don't care what the basic laws of physics. It doesn't matter to us. We're just going to keep going in this other direction at some point, though, they have to know <laughs> that when we reach, we're going to reach a level where we're going to be so dependent on wind and solar if they get their way. And maybe they think they'll never get their way, but we'll be so dependent on wind and solar at some point that the amount of problems that are going to come from that are going to be so extreme that they're going to face some backlash for that. And, and I want to know what... What is going through these people's minds? Because unlike with conventional energy, like with uh, energy sources like coal or natural gas or nuclear power, where if you needed to build more, you know, you can build it just about anywhere and you can and you can do it in a relatively small space. But with wind and solar, you need like massive amounts of land. You need the right kind of conditions. You need new transmission lines all over the place. Like people are not going to, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get to a point where you say, you know what? We're having too many power problems. So let's just build a lot more of this and take up a lot more land and have a lot more issue because you're going to have all these people fighting it, not in my backyard types and all of that. Um, and so I just don't even understand what the plan is if they actually right. get their way. All I can think of is that they don't actually believe that that day is ever going to happen. And so they just keep saying, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And they know it will never happen. And so they just hope the problem doesn't become so big that they get blamed for it. But I honestly can't even figure out what is going through their minds on that because, yeah. because it is so clear. Well, I think it's probably just like a totally different like view of reality because Isaac, I've been reading a couple of articles about this, this idea, the NERC assessment and, and their projections for the blackouts. And a lot of the articles that I've read all make it seem like, well, the reason it, it's not because of, you know, a limited amount of energy. It's the more energy that we need because it's so much hotter in the summers. Now we have so much more heat waves. So it's, it's as if, this is the result of climate change and not the result of policy. How do you respond to that? Well, and that's what the other side is going to say, right? Like, but when you look at what NERC says, like below the headline, it says too many coal plants are retiring. Wind and solar aren't able to replace them on a one-to-one -one basis, which is what, you know, anyone with a brain knows. But like the, the left is going to say that like the 
the blackouts aren't because we closed down too many reliable power plants in an entirely foreseeable way. It's because of climate change, right? Like climate change caused extreme weather. The extreme weather caused the blackout because like when we do have the blackout, it's probably going to be during either a very hot period or a very cold period, right? So like that's just when things break when during extreme temperatures. So like they will blame climate change on that. So their solution to having a, you know, um, grid that is susceptible to, uh, you know, interruption during extreme weather events is to make a grid that's more prone to fluctuations in the weather, which is like the dumbest thing possible, right? So <laughs> Jim absolutely nailed it when he talks about how the policies that are being, you know, enacted on a state and federal level are burning the reliability candle at both ends. We're simultaneously closing down the, the plants that we can rely upon to produce electricity while also like causing our demand to skyrocket. Right. And like you guys are in Illinois, I'm in Minnesota in the winter time, you know, probably 80% of the energy that we use in the winter is for home heating for that's either natural gas, propane. You know, if you're unlucky enough to have an electric furnace or like uh, baseboards, like you're going to be paying a lot more for that. So like they are basically mandating a huge spike in wintertime uh, natural gas generator, or sorry, uh, electricity generation needs. And, you know, I think of like a furnace is like almost like a solar panel, right? Like it's, it's like you have a, a power plant inside your house in your mm -hmm. basement that produces the heat that you need, right? So if you're going to, you know, ban the use of natural gas for home heating, you need to replace the, the heat producibility, you know, the ability to produce heat that you everybody has in their furnace right now. So sure. it's going to be like a huge increase in the amount of power lines that you need. Most um, like neighborhoods aren't set up to have like multiple electric vehicles in one neighborhood, let alone make everybody have one. So like two per house and then have an electric heat pump on top of that. So uh, there are all of these challenges that the that advocates of these policies don't take seriously. And um, yeah, like uh, Minnesota just passed a 100% uh, carbon free electricity mandate by 2040. I don't think I've been on the show uh, since they did that. But like during the debate, the Republicans in the legislature offered like off ramps that said, OK, well, let's suspend the implementation of this regulation in case we have a blackout. And the Democrats unanimously said no. Like <laughs> if you want to suspend it, you can go to the Public Utilities Commission, which is like all appointed by our Democratic governor and plead your case there. But like we're we're in a really bad way. That's that is absurd because I mean in Minnesota um, it gets kind of cold there. Like, could you imagine if uh, you know there's going to be fears of blackouts while it's negative twenty five degrees out there? You're just like, oh please, can we use some coal? No, don't even don't even bring that idea up to us. <laughs> just freeze to death. Like, there's some actual legitimate health consequences of that. I uh, of that. That's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. uh, wait, I was just uh, reading Isaac. the chat. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 Isaac. Uh, um, so s Biden, you, you you pitch this whole idea of this topic because Biden is initiating a whole new wave of of uh, new regulations. You want to you want to talk about that for a little bit? It's called the good neighbors rule. So it's got to be good. Right. I mean, it sounds so like um, Mr. Rogers. Right. I, I'm, I'm in support of it. Yeah. Do you won't you be my neighbor? Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's actually four rules uh, that the Biden administration is releasing basically simultaneously right now that will impact the viability of certain power plants, right? So you have, uh, it's called the ozone transport rule. Um, basically, that's that's the good neighbor rule. There's multiple names for the same regulation, uh, but it's going to require certain coal plants to put uh, selective catalytic reduction units on their power plants in order to reduce the um, the pollutants that form ozone, right? And they say like, okay, well, if you have winds blowing, like let's, for example, say uh, ozone from Texas into other states, like Texas needs to clean up its air so other states aren't not in, or aren't non-compliant with their ozone standards that are established by EPA. So that's going to cost billions of dollars and take you know uh, you know several dozens of coal plants offline. So. Like that's going to really undermine the reliability of the grid. There's also a rule called the coal combustion and residual rule. That's going to be really bad in the Midwest. Uh, that'll probably take another, you know, three to 5,000 megawatts of uh, 
capacity offline. And that's like, a, and that's basically enough to power the entire state of Minnesota on an average basis, right? So average hourly basis. Uh, then you have the mercury and air toxic standard. Uh, that was a big rule that the Obama administration published in 2015. And Biden is tightening it. And that's going to take off power plants in the middle of the country where they're already at a high risk of uh, outages. And then lastly, it's probably the most uh, significant one of all of them. It's an update to the clean power plan. I call it the no power plan, uh, where we have new uh, regulations on CO2 emissions from existing coal and natural gas facilities. So um, those facilities are either going to need to install carbon capture and sequestration equipment, which has not been demonstrated to be you know, cost effective anywhere, uh, or, you know, shut down. So mm. Uh, ultimately, that's probably what a lot of these companies are going to opt for. But what do you replace it with? So, so when they when they like increase these regulations, right? Because you just said it was like tightening up Obama era regulations. When they make these regulations more stringent, it was is the idea that like they know that it wasn't stringent enough when they originally proposed it. Uh, or do they think that just like, well, we can get away with it, by just tightening that belt loop by one more notch. Like that's is, what it is. is. That's a mindset. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Okay. So, uh, and it's interesting because when, when they come up with like the clean power plan 2.0, like they don't even talk about the benefits of reduced CO2 emissions as much as they talk about, uh, they call it co-benefits. This is something the Trump administration tried to get rid of, but essentially what the uh, Biden administration is doing is. They're saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to reduce the amount of small particulates in the air. And we think that reducing that is worth like, you know, X billion dollars. So in the end, this ends up saving consumers money, even though it's <laughs> right. all fudge factors. Right. So they have <laughs> yeah. these different, um, you know, externality costs that they basically make up. Um, and then they apply that to whatever regulation they're doing in order to pass their cost benefit analysis. So this is this is the same shady stuff that has been happening since the Obama administration. Yeah, it's just I don't know, just wild every time. It's like, oh, we, we didn't do enough then. We got to tighten it up more and make it, you know, more of a more of a pain. But um, so a lot of the stuff that I was uh, getting notes from was from a link that is in the show notes from the uh, Institute for Energy Research. And you can find that if you're interested in the show notes, like I said. But I found this passage in that article really interesting. It talks about how uh, different industries were complaining about this rule, different coal plants or something like that. But it said cement companies also criticized the rule because their industry is being hit with the rule when its products are in demand because of an influx of federal investment in road and bridge construction. Cement making is highly energy intensive, which is one of the reasons its manufacture is largely shifted to China, where they burn coal for energy without restraint. The bipartisan infrastructure law expects substantially increased use of building materials manufactured in the United States a policy objective seemingly at cross purposes with the new EPA rule. So I found this really interesting because it's like we're being stuck in a position where we either have to pay more, you know, the government has to use our tax pay, uh, tax money to pay for more expensive American made cement uh, made more expensive because of these very rules, or we're going to have to buy it cheaper from China where it's produced with a far higher carbon footprint and it will have to be shipped via massive cargo ships from the other side of the world. And cement is, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's pretty heavy stuff. So, uh, you know, those cargo ships are going to have to use a lot of fossil fuels to traverse the globe. Jim, this seems like a very terrible way to go green. What do you think? Well, because it's not going green, not at all. Uh, it's it's uh, outsourcing our virtue signaling. Well, I guess I sh should say it's like virtue signaling by outsourcing. Maybe it's the same way to say it. But it's this idea. Look, just put it this way. If, uh, if we need oil, and we do need oil, uh, we need petroleum, uh, you know, if you, we need plastics, we need also, petroleum is not just burning, not just turning into gasoline or fuel oil. Petroleum is used for almost everything in your house right now. Uh, so, so we will not stop drilling for oil. If you're going to drill for oil, where would you rather have it done? In, if you're an environmentalist, if you care about the ecology of the earth, if you care about having it done with the least environmental damage possible. Would you rather that drilling be done in the United, in the United States or Brazil or even Saudi Arabia? 
if you were going to mine for the um, now, if we go to this green, so-called green economy, if you're going to mine for the rare earth minerals that are necessary to build all these batteries, and by the way, uh, you know, you need copper and you need all sorts of minerals, the, the, the mining necessary to, to make all of the batteries as we electrify everything, uh, it's, we don't have enough, we don't even know that there's enough copper that we know where it's at, we, where we can get it to make a lot of these uh, batteries and the electrification, or I should say copper, especially for the transmission lines. We don't have it. And so, but, but if, if it was possible to do that, where would you rather have that done? In the United States with our strict environmental regulations that make sure that mining causes the least amount of environmental damage possible or in China or in the Congo. And if you are, this is why the arguments of the environmentalists are, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they are naive. Right. If you look at it more clearly, they, are, they want to punish the United States. There's, if you wanted to punish the United States for its success, you would be doing exactly all of these things. And you're, you're allowing China, the dirtiest country on earth, with slave labor to create this new wonderful green utopia that we're going to have. You need to open your eyes and you need to open the eyes of these people that are maybe just passively green and think these are all good ideas. They are not. Uh, China is going to take over the world because we're just going to hand them the keys and hand them our, our economies and hand them the control of energy around the globe. Who in their right mind thinks that's remotely a good idea? And wacky environmental lefties do, and people in power here in the United States and with the World Economic Forum who want to diminish the power of the United States and diminish your freedom think it's a good idea. Nobody who thinks rationally thinks any of this makes any sense. Yeah, the latest numbers that I've seen out of China, 2022, they onlined two coal plants every week on average for the entire year. Uh, and that's uh, not to mention how China is trying to corner the world's market when it comes to rare earth material, uh, one, through their Belt and Road Initiative plans, and two, like Jim said, by relying on Western government constraining themselves from mining in their own jurisdictions. So it's just like all seemingly playing right into China's hands. But uh, Justin, looks like you're back after having a little bit of technical difficulties. You want to weigh in on this? No, I mean, the the thing that's so crazy about all of this is that there is literally no chance, I mean, literally no chance that anything that we do in the United States is going to fix this problem. Like, it just isn't going to happen. And so what's so bizarre about, about this debate is that, you know, earlier we mentioned, well, you know, uh, the, what the left says is that if we don't do something about climate change and we don't, you know, make our power system completely overhaul our power system, then we're going to have hotter and hotter weather and that's going to cause all these problems and all of that. But that, that is meaningless because of what we're seeing in China as, as you're referencing. So in China, in India, in other parts of the, of the developing world, the amount of carbon dioxide emissions that are being added into the atmosphere as a result of their development, which is lifting people out of poverty, by the way, in many cases, is is um, so much more than anything that we can cut here that it is irrelevant. And so, again, I, I go, you know, maybe this is all just I keep going back to the same point. But what are these people thinking? I mean, at the end of the day, total CO2 emissions are going to keep going up. That is not going to. So even if you believe that CO2 emissions is like a little dial and you can just turn the dial up and down and that will change uh, weather and that will stop hurricanes and whatever. Like, let's say you believe that. It doesn't matter because we don't have our hand on the biggest dial. Like right. that, so who cares? And and so literally we are we are destroying our energy system. We are making it more unreliable by the day. Also, that we can have absolutely zero effect right. on climate change in the long run. It's actually zero. There are some people that say, "Well, it's it's really just a fraction." You know, it's it, we we talk about that. It's a small amount of of impact on temperature. But I don't think it's really ultimately any impact on global warming because warming's going to happen either way if you believe that CO two is causing it because CO two is going to keep going up. So the only rational, you know, thing that you can do if you're on the left and you take this position that CO2 emissions are going to kill everybody is to start with China and start with India 
And then after you're done convincing them to cut their CO2 emissions, then you can come talk to me. Until (laughs) then, I don't want to hear from you because it's irrelevant. I get that, Justin, but there are tons of like normie voters out there that have been conditioned to think that like wind and solar are good, right? That's just like, you don't even question that. You just know that wind and solar are good. And like, it sounds really good in theory, to be honest, like, oh, wind is free, sun is free. Like, yeah, let's use that. Like, they don't understand the complexity of the grid. They don't understand that we're flirting with disaster because every time they've gone to flip the switch, the electricity has been there. Like, yeah, these are yeah. the people that think milk comes from the store and electricity comes from the outlet. And they're not <laughs> going to, as the dairy farm kid, uh, that's like my like classic. Oh, break, yeah. Right. Wow. Got um, a cow behind you. Works per- perfectly. They're not going to reconsider any of these preconceived notions until the lights don't come on. Right. And well, it might be happening sooner than you think. That's true. (laughs) In the meantime, like we need to be doing a better job of messaging to them about things that they actually care about. And I think the slavery angle is a big one because 80 percent of the solar components that are made in the world come from China. Many of them come from Western China and the Xinjiang region where you have enslaved Muslim Uyghurs like in Minnesota, there's a lot of people that have signs in their yard that says, I love my Muslim neighbor. And that's fine. But like, why are you totally cool with having solar panels on your roof then at the same time? Right. Like those are the like the moral issues, because like for a lot of these kind of normie voters who don't really tune in, they're not necessarily like we're preaching to the choir here. Right. But like, how do we talk to the listeners of this show and kind of like get them into the headspace to where maybe they can start persuading some of their, their friends who don't think about this as, as much as we do. And I do think it's like this issue of like, okay, well, like right now the, the prevailing like moral zeitgeist of our society, let's just call it that is like wind and solar are good. If you oppose them and support fossil fuels, you're bad. And we need to flip that script. We need to have the moral argument is Solar panels are made predominantly using slave labor. If you support solar panels, you're a bad person, right? right like right. we need to rip away that kind of that like well, smug it, moral superiority that they get to feel by supporting solar. Yeah, there there was a conversation that I remember Justin and I had years ago. This is back in the Green New Deal time where, uh, you know, we came up with like the phraseology of, uh, you know, that the Green New Deal or transitioning to 100% green energy or whatever would have been economically disastrous, but it would also be environmentally toxic because people don't realize that it's not just there's another side of the ledger, you know, when, when it comes to all, you know, what you're talking about, the slave labor, but all the mining of the resources that's required, plus, you know, these solar panels and these wind turbines they are not exactly recyclable. So we're talking about having just tons of this waste from solar panels that we just like don't even know what to do with at this point. And all of that just kind of gets brushed aside because people just look like looking at one side of the ledger. But what does amaze me, and this kind of goes to your comments, uh, Isaac, is that people think that transitioning to 100% wind and solar is going to be easy. I just watched an interview segment with Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com. He's been on this podcast a couple of times where he was basically brought on to be the counterpoint to some climate alarmists, one of them representing Extinction Rebellion. Hmm. And at one point of the interview, the Extinction Rebellion guy said that the only thing standing in the way of going fully renewable was the government. And I was like, what? Like, that's the complete opposite of reality. The only reason that wind and solar makes up 6% 6% of the of the energy makeup right now is because of massive government subsidies and mandates. So Jim, uh, I actually watched that clip because you recommended it. Uh, thoughts on this idea of it being easy to transition? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, you know, it's, it's easy to transition if you don't want anyone to have power. Uh, you could just do it. And that's apparently what our policy is in this country is just, we're just going to do it. You know, we're the only thing keep the, the yeah, yeah, I had it on mute, but I was laughing. The only thing keeping us from going fully green and transitioning to this, this utopia that is impossible is the government is in the way. No reality is in the way. Um, and, but and reality is going to win, you know, between in a contest between what I would like the world to look like and what the world actually is reality wins every time. And what we're going to see, which is the title of this podcast, getting you ready for summer blackouts, is that that reality is going to start hitting more and more people around this country this summer. Um, you know, I was asking, and again, as you mentioned, Donnie, the, uh, you know, the, the idea of getting a blackout warning 
up here in Northern Illinois, um, where you've lived your whole life, you, you just never remembered it ever happening before. And now that's going to become a routine part of our lives. Uh, and we cannot energy efficiency our way out of this. We cannot replace uh, coal and natural gas and nuclear power with, as Justin pointed out, wind and solar that takes massive amounts of land away from either agriculture. It, that actually destroys the environment. You destroy uh, a hilltop to put windmills on it. You destroy farmland or you know wild prairie to put solar panels on them. You, you create just a tiny little postage stamp to, to make a coal or a natural gas or a nuclear power plant. So, so these environmentalists don't actually care about the environment. Um, they are either in fantasy land and delusional or uh, they want people to suffer because they have some kind of some kind of psychosis and, and collective guilt or their own personal guilt that they're putting on the collective of the entire United States. We need to be punished for all of the prosperity that we've enjoyed for centuries. Uh, no, I'm not going to buy on to that. And, and most people won't either. But this reality is going to start hitting people in the face because we cannot replace we keep taking more coal and natural gas uh, power plants offline while, as we showed on the screen just a few moments ago, China is, I thought this pace might have slackened by now, but China is still building two new coal plants every single week. We could stop all emissions. Everybody could hold their breath for the next year and it would not matter. The, the amount of CO2 that, that is harming the atmosphere would be diminished by nothing. It would still be going up no matter what we do. And so this entire thing is madness. And again, where you mix policy and politics, we need politicians to start to stop trying to meet these radicals halfway and say, no, there is, it, we, are, we are going to emit more CO2 in the atmosphere and we're going to do it for the next hundred years until so that we can keep a nice steady uh, economic growth going so that maybe we can figure out other ways that are, more, that are cheaper and more reliable to produce the energy we need to live and to thrive. We right. need people, we need politicians to say that publicly. Instead, we got a lot of milk toast rhino Republicans who are trying to meet these radicals halfway. When you meet them halfway, they're just going to chop your head off. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, that, that idea of like, oh, we'll just be a little bit more efficient. Like, I think that is just like so absurd. That's another thing that absolutely boggles my mind about this. We'll just, you know, not use as much energy. Yeah, that'll help. And like, unless you embrace some of the crazier and darker and straight up authoritarian dictator type solutions to dealing with climate change, there are a number of realities that you're going to have to recognize uh, when it comes to energy usage in the future. One of those things is populations are going up, not just in America, but worldwide. And this means more people using energy. A lot of developing countries are using more energy as their standard of living increase and their populations increase. China, like we were just talking about, their energy consumption tripled in just the last 20 years. India's energy consumption doubled in that same time span. That's a lot of people using a lot of energy on that uh, half of the world. Food production. Um, food production. We just talked about John Kerry blaming uh, some of climate change on agriculture just earlier this month. Food production is going to go up uh, because growing populations, they like eating. Also, new technology loves energy. Everyone's talking about, uh, you know, like chat GPT and artificial intelligence, AI, all that type of stuff. That stuff uses a ton of energy. Block blockchain technology that underlies a lot of the crypto stuff and all of that uses a lot of energy. The idea of lab-grown meat that we've talked about every once in a while on this podcast, uh, it's a great way to, you know, not be reliant on livestock and alternative Over to... my dead body. <laughs> well, guess what? You're probably going to have your way, uh, Isaac, because that takes a lot of energy. I saw one report suggesting that to produce like, you know, some quantity, some unit of, of lab grown meat has like a 20 times the carbon footprint than just like growing that cow behind you over there. Hell yeah. Uh, also it's just rolling coal to grow this meat in the lab. <laughs> that's right. Also, uh, as our lives and the lives across the world become more reliant on technology, energy and reliable energy at that, it becomes a requirement to make sure that this stuff doesn't just, you know, turn off one day. So the idea that we're just going to like, well, just turn off the lights when you leave the room and then we're going to solve uh, our energy problems that way. It's absurd. If you were to look at a, a, a chart of the amount of energy
energy used by humans, you know, over time, it's just probably a straight 45 degree angle. And there's nothing, nothing that's suggesting that it's going to plateau at any point in the future. Uh, so Justin thoughts on thoughts on any of that um, before I have one more article that I want to get to, but thoughts on any of that that I just said. Yeah. I, I think that the biggest issue that we have going forward is what you just really just what you alluded to there. <clears throat> There's this idea that we're using X amount of energy today. And so if we can just produce that energy in a different way, then everything will be fine. Even if you account for population growth and other things, there are, there are many reasons to believe that energy use is actually going to get substantially higher than what we have right now uh, because so much of our technological development is energy intensive. And if so, if you're looking at artificial intelligence, for example, and you're looking at automation, you're talking about replacing human beings with machines to do all kinds of different things. Those machines run on something. They run on electricity. And so, and this is something that we've seen over the course of human history as well. It, it, Donnie just alluded to that. You, you know, there's this idea that we're using more electricity. That's because our technological achievements and advancements are getting better and our quality of life is improving and people are living longer. All of these things are correlated with each other. They're all connected. The idea that we're better off using less energy is is statistically, empirically, completely untrue. There is literally no evidence that using less electricity makes a society better off. It doesn't make a society better off. That's just not true. Now, we want to use it as efficiently as we possibly can. And actually, artificial intelligence and other things will help us do that in the future. But if we really are going to move toward a society where we're going to have more automation and more artificial intelligence and more machine learning and more use and reliance on computers and all of the benefits that come from that, and there are many, um, there are drawbacks too, but there are many benefits that come from that you're going to end up with significantly more energy use. That coupled with population growth and the fact that the places in the world where there is the greatest amount of population growth are the places that really haven't developed all that much and they don't use that much energy. So just wait till they start using what the average person in America is using. Well, then you're really screwed. There's really no chance. And so again, none of these plans that are being presented to you from people who say, well, we just need to build windmills and solar panels. It's like, well, how many freaking windmills and solar panels are going to take to power the world when everyone is living like we are in a hundred years from now or 150 years from now or whatever, when you have Africa and China, places like that, living to our standard of living or even, even half of that, what are you going to do then? You can't right. just build windmill. Eventually, you're going to run out of places to build windmills and solar panels. And, and so and the last thing that I'll say about all this is that one of the easiest ways of winning the argument is if you just don't care about the cost or if you believe that cost is uh, whatever the cost is for building new energy is worth doing it. Renewable energy is worth it because the alternative is, you know, Miami being underwater and, you know, millions of people dying and all climate refugees and all these things that these people are constantly claiming is going to happen. Even if you accept all that, then the simplest solution is just go all nuclear because nuclear energy doesn't produce any carbon dioxide emissions, very little. It, it's, it is truly renewable energy. It is proven to be safe uh, relatively speaking, it's very safe and secure form of energy. You can build it almost anywhere. It doesn't require anywhere near as much land um, as or mining or things like that as solar panels and and wind and wind farms and things like that. And and so why not just do that? You know why not just do that? And the obvious answer to that, and this is why people like M Michael Schellenberger, you know, who is a, a left wing guy really, but kind of realized that a lot of this stuff is garbage. Uh, because he he looked at the benefits of nuclear power and realized I don't understand why the left isn't going along with it is because nuclear power doesn't provide the opportunity to completely reshape all of society. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Joe Bast, uh, uh, who founded Heartland uh, many years ago, used to say that 
the really great thing from the left's perspective about climate change is it just so happens that every single so-called solution to the problem gives the left everything that they've always wanted even before the climate crisis existed. It's just it's just so convenient for them, right? But and that's the point. It's not really convenient. The whole narrative is being pushed because it gives them everything they've always wanted. And so they're going to keep going with this as for as long as people allow because if they actually win, they'll get everything that they've always wanted, tried all these other different arguments, and they didn't work. So now we go to this existential crisis. The only thing we can do to solve it is to give the left everything they want. And, and that's really where we're at. And so is if we can just show people, and I think Isaac is exactly right about uh, the, um, the humanitarian aspects of it. I think Donnie, he pointed out the environmental harms of this. These are the things we need to highlight. It can't just be about dollars and cents because that doesn't win over a large segment of society. It has to be, look, this is re this stuff is really bad for the environment. It's really bad for poor people, uh, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And um, in a it's not sustainable at all. It isn't really going to solve the problem. It's really, it it's going to kill lots of animals and, and take up massive amounts of land. Um, and it requires human rights violations because all the stuff is being mined or produced, varying aspects of it, in parts of the world where they have no human rights standards or very low human rights standards. So focus on, I think focusing on those things is, is more important than, than anything else. And if we can just shift the narrative in those directions, I think that we can win this battle over the long run because it really does come down to the average person who's voting for this just wants a cleaner environment. They're not going to get it from this. They just want to help people. They're not going to be able to do that from this. And they want to do something that's good for society generally, and that's not this. And if we can just make those points, the regular everyday person that's voting for these kinds of politicians, making these grand promises, um, is going to realize this is actually just a giant scam. That is uh, very, very well put. Very well um, about the from the LA Times explaining what you should do in preparation of blackouts, but you know after such a a great uh, little uh, monologue there, I don't think it's worth bringing up. So Isaac, I will give it to you though because you are our guest of honor. If you want to fill in any holes, any gaps, or anything like that, make any last points or anything, we're already north of an hour. Now is your opportunity. He called me Snow Woman, and I said. Hey, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We have Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar just joined the podcast. Unbelievable. Are you going to be running for president again this, uh, this upcoming year? Yes, and I will announce <laughs> with my hair as it fares in a blizzard. <laughs> Oh, I'm part right. goat. <laughs> we we gotta find that clip. That clip of of the of all the different times that she's done that. Oh my god, uh, she's the craziest. She's the one of the greatest things <laughs> truly I've ever oh seen. Oh my gosh, stuff. it was it was it was the absolute worst. All right, uh, Jim, any anything, any last words, anything you want to get off your chest before we wrap up the show? No, I think I've yelled enough on this podcast. At least three gym rants. That's uh, a little above average. So I'm going to try to calm myself down, take a little walk. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for another episode. We're going to do 400 more. Uh, for those that are listening to the audio only version, it's probably catching this on a Friday or later. You can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon, where we are live streaming this on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You can also help us out, those audio only listeners, by reviewing us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. You're watching us on YouTube or Rumble. You can uh, support the show just by hitting the like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment underneath the video. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms to prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you would like, you can follow us on Twitter at In the Tank Pod. You can send us your comments and questions, suggestions for the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. 
Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter. Visit heartland.org. And thank you so much to the people watching the show live today. Next time, bring a friend with you. Help us spread the uh, the word about the show. The more people we have in the chat, the better. That is right. Uh, Justin Haskins, same question. At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook and Twitter. Fantastic. And Isaac Orr, where can the funny people find you? Right here next week. Oh, <laughs> He's just gonna he's just gonna edge his way in. He's permanently. squatting. Nice Squatters' rights, I think, is how that works, right? <laughs> That's right. No. That's right. We, we need like increasing fan uh, outreach to keep yeah. Isaac. We need at least it was it was one, one more letter. It was one person to get him on this time. We need you two. heard it, folks. We need you two letters it. to get him on next week. Bulls Email J, J Lakely at heartland.org to uh <laughs> Get Isaac back. Free Isaac. Get Free Isaac, Isaac back on the show. You and Chris, you and Chris are going to have to go into Thunderdome and see who comes out and can be on the pod next week. Oh, uh, the fans will vote, and it won't be close. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for joining in. We will talk to you next week.